0: I'm trying to get back, but it's a slow process.
1: They survived COVID-19, but the road to recovery is long.
0: You may have shortness of
1: breath, months, maybe years down the road. Then there's the hospital bills, some thought would be covered in full. Maybe I misunderstood, but I didn't think you could be billed for COVID. Also, federal tax returns delayed by months what's behind a massive backlog at the IRS.
0: I know for a fact I'm not the only person struggling with this.
1: And details on the extra money the IRS is sending parents in July. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and I'm joined again by our Contact 6 investigator, Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna.
2: Hi, Brian.
1: We are recording this episode on Wednesday, June 30th for release on Thursday, July 1st. And Jenna, if you go back six months, we were talking about just how long it was going to take to get out of the pandemic. And here we are going to grocery stores without masks and sporting events with big crowds. We've made a lot of progress moving toward the end of the COVID-19 pandemic, but for one Milwaukee man you profiled and his family, the fallout from his COVID-19 hospital stay is having a lasting impact.
2: It certainly is. For Ken Ross and Sherita Ross of Milwaukee, this really was the nightmare COVID-19 scenario. Ken got COVID-19 very early on in the pandemic. In March of 2020, he wasn't feeling well at home. Eventually, he started to have trouble breathing. And so his wife took him to the hospital. She dropped him off at the doors of Columbia St. Mary's. She went to park the car and then found the hospital wouldn't let her inside. So from that moment on, all of their communication was over the phone. So the next day, Ken was moved to the ICU, which was very scary for them. And shortly after, he was placed under a medically induced coma and on a ventilator. And Ken would remain on that ventilator for four weeks.
1: And we we know from having followed this that when people were placed on ventilators and in comas, I mean, that for many was the sign that this is the road toward the end.
2: Yes, his wife was told that she needed to prepare for the worst at a few points during this journey. Because while on that ventilator, Ken's heart stopped three times and doctors did CPR to bring him back. And his oxygen got down to 20%, which is, very horrific. So his wife had to call every day to get updates from the nurses, try to talk to the doctors. She was learning all sorts of medical terminology, um, learning so many things she never thought she would have to. And they talked about their marriage vows with me and how they promised for better or for worse, and this was their test. They had been married for 26 years, they'd never been apart. And it's interesting because Sharita remembers all of this very clearly and Ken remembers little to nothing of it. So Sherita was making this really difficult decision of whether or not to allow doctors to actually put a trach in Ken's neck, something very invasive when Ken fortunately woke up. And when he woke up, Sherita asked him, how long do you think you've been at the hospital? And he said, well, I don't know, a day. And she said, no. And he said, okay, two days. She said, no. He said, how about a week? And she said, no. And when she told him it had been a month, it was very overwhelming, and he started to cry, and what convinced him was the fact that Ken is a clean-shaven man, and he had a full beard, unlike anything he'd ever had before. How,
1: I just think how crazy that would be to, to lose consciousness clean-shaven and to wake up with a full beard.
2: Right. I mean, not to mention the fact that he was very fatigued, he was having a lot of difficulty breathing, he was not in very good form. So he had to remain in the hospital for another month. He had to learn how to eat again, how to walk again. He said every time he tried to stand up, he would just fall down like a leaf. And he was in a lot of pain. He had to remain on oxygen for another eight months. And even today, he's incredibly grateful to be alive because he has family members and friends who have died from COVID-19, but he is in pain every day and that is something that he's not sure is going to go away anytime soon.
1: And for anyone who has been through something where you know they're just grateful to be alive but it's been a long hospital stay or been a lot of doctors involved, there is a reality that sets in is you're still here but now comes the time to pay for it. And and literally his family is having to deal with trying to pay for it. What struck me the most in your story, and I think it's easy to look at this aspect and go, well, gosh, they're lucky. The total cost of his hospital stay, you, you reported, was more than a million dollars?
2: Well, that's what his insurer was billed by the hospital.
1: Right. He's not paying that, but just that that figure. When you, I mean, it's one thing to say, I'd pay a million dollars just to, to still be here. Um, quite literally, that's what it cost.
2: It did, $1,071,000 approximately in one year. And the bulk of that was for the hospital stay. And his insurer, United Healthcare, was able to negotiate that down to about $346,000. And they did pay most of it. What Ken ended up owing was about $5,000 because he met his deductible. Now, you might think that sounds like a drop in the bucket. And the family acknowledges that. But they had read that insurers were temporarily waiving cost share for COVID-19 treatment. So they thought that their bills would be covered in full, and they were not. And we looked into what accounted for that misunderstanding in our report.
1: Well, and that that is something that stands out when you watch, and I always watch your stories before we do these podcasts because I want it fresh in my mind. And the figures you had on the screen, a million dollars in the left column, the negotiated price of 300 and some thousand dollars and then what they owe to 4700 And your initial reaction is, wow, that's fantastic. They hardly owe anything relative to the total cost. But if you went to anyone right now and said, here's a bill for $4,800, most people would say, I-, I can't pay that right now. That could be devastating. And knowing that some people got, I shouldn't say got off easy, but many, some people got these, what you refer to as these waivers, Um, these cost sharing waivers, they didn't have to pay a dime for their COVID-19 treatments. Why did Ken and his family have to?
2: So it really comes down to a patchwork of the time period and the plan someone is enrolled in, whether those cost share waivers were available to them. Now, vaccines for COVID-19 and testing for COVID-19 are always covered in full, no matter what. But in this case, not everyone with health insurance qualifies for a cost share waiver, and Ken did not. And it was very complicated, and we, I, I had a version of this story where I explained exactly why Ken did not qualify. And in the end, I decided it wasn't necessary. What mattered was that not everybody qualifies. But for United Healthcare, it came down to whether a person is considered fully insured or self-insured, under their group health plan. And this is a, de- as a decision that the employer makes and the employee has no control over. So we asked United Healthcare to take another look at Ken's bill. They did, they reviewed it and they determined it was calculated appropriately. Now those cost share waivers were temporary. They are no longer in place for the most part and people in general from this point on will be paying a cost share for their COVID-19 treatment.
1: What I gathered from watching the story is that in addition to what they already see that they owe, there's a real fear that that's not the end of it, that there could be more coming.
2: Well, they are very concerned that they're going to be meeting their deductible every year from this point on because Ken is still suffering from a lot of symptoms, uh, from being a long hauler. He is very exhausted. He has a lot of inflammation um, from being on a ventilator for that long. He has achiness in his knees, in his joints. He has stiffness. He has a pinched nerve. He sees a lot of different doctors for different issues that have come along because of being a COVID 19 survivor. So when you look at the long haul cost of being a long hauler, they could be meeting their deductible every year for who knows how long because the research on long haul or fate changes a lot daily. You, a lot of these people, re, uh, they're reporting body aches, headaches, neurological problems, um, issues from being on a ventilator. And because we don't have a long-term analysis of what this could look like for people over a long period of time, it might be a safe assumption that they'll be meeting their deductible for some time.
1: I have a friend, and I won't name him here, but I, it's a personal friend whose daughter had a liver transplant uh, when she was, I believe, 12 or 13 years old. And, um, and and she was down to her last moments. And I mean, really, there this was... And the people who get to the top of the transplant list are the people in the worst shape, right? So she was very close to not surviving. She survived, and I'm sure he and she and so many others, incredibly grateful. But ever since then... It's just been a nonstop barrage of surgeries and hospital visits and and health problems. And, you know, it it adds to uh, there are mental health things that go along with that when you aren't like the other kids. And and so and I bring that up to say it's one thing to know someone survived and survival is the ultimate because the the alternative is is permanent. But the idea that when you survive something like this, it doesn't mean that the problems have gone away. And in fact, it sounds like Ken will be dealing with this for the rest of his life.
2: He will, and we wanted to get across in this story that Ken is grateful. He's very grateful to the doctors. He's grateful for what insurance did cover. He works in a hospital system, so he understands the importance of all that work and how his life was bettered because of it. But at the same time, these costs aren't going away. And to give you an idea of what his life is like, In our stories, we're always trying to figure out a way to make them visually interesting. And there's not a lot that Ken can do right now because he's very easily exhausted. So we came up with a plan where we were going to meet him and his wife at the grocery store because that's pretty much his only outing. We were going to get video of them shopping at a grocery store and he didn't have the energy for it. So that was fine, we came up with another plan where we were going to get video of him and his wife preparing dinner at home. And when the day came, he didn't have the energy to stand in the kitchen and make dinner either. And this is just an example of what he's facing at the end of the workday, because he is back at work. He, he's really too tired to stand. So we ended up getting video of him and his wife looking through a notebook that his wife had kept detailing every step of his journey. And that was kind of our visual aid in the story that we relied on very heavily because Ken can't get out and do things that he used to. He says he used to live a very active life, and now his goal is to mow the lawn. You know, he can do the lawn. It takes him a lot of starting and stopping, but that's the reality of what his situation is.
1: My kids and I talk about this often, but there's that you, if you ever think I have to go mow the lawn today, my son is really good about reminding me, no, dad, you get to mow the lawn. And and that's a, a great, great reminder.
2: What a wise kid.
1: So we're talking about them waiting to get more bills in the mail, but you've also talked to other Fox 6 viewers who are anxiously awaiting checks from the federal government in the mail. Another Contact Six story, and this is one you've talked about a number of times, people waiting on whether it's stimulus checks or something else, but IRS tax returns have been delayed in mass numbers. First of all, how did this story come to you and, and, and what's going on there?
2: Well, since the beginning of the year, Contact Six has gotten six complaints, and we've gotten more since this story aired, I should say, about late 2019 tax returns. And one of them came from a woman named Candace Ohm. She is a single mom who is relying very much on that money. And Candace told us she filed an amended tax return late in September 2020. She paid to send it overnight to the IRS and was later told in the winter that they never got it. So she filed again in January and was still waiting in June when we spoke with her, and she said, even if it's just $500, this family would benefit from the money. And she was calling the IRS often. She wasn't getting through. Sometimes after waiting on the phone for an hour, she would be disconnected. And when she did talk to a person, she found she was getting a different answer than she got the last time she was able to reach a person. And in the meantime, she's checking the IRS's tool on their website, the Where's My Payment tool tool, and she's not getting a lot of updates. So we looked into this, and what I found that was really helpful was a U.S. Treasury report. And in that report, it detailed a massive backlog at the IRS that actually predates the pandemic. And that report said that at the end of 2020, there were 3.5 million individual paper tax returns that were waiting to be processed, and that was an 1,800 Percent increase over 2019 so this is leading to delays at the IRS when it comes to tax returns it might have taken one to two months in the past if you filed by paper now it could take four to six months if you are filing by paper it's faster if you file electronically but not in every case because they're often still pulling those out to review them manually and there are several several reasons for those delays.
1: Well, and nobody likes the tax man, so it's easy for the IRS to be a villain. But when you think about the fact that there are people, our friends, our neighbors who work for this government agencies who have to process this, when you laid out in your story the things that have contributed to these delays, there was a moment where you step back and go, wow, I don't even know how they pulled that off. So what were some of the things that have led to some of the backlogs in getting these tax returns out?
2: So a lot of my information for the story came from the owner of Accurite Tax Service. His name is Jason Rose. And he says that this backlog goes back to budget cuts at the IRS over the last decade. Um, Before the pandemic, there were also various government shutdowns that led to some delays. And then the COVID-19 pandemic closed its processing center for some time. And when employees came back, they had this massive stack of mail waiting for them, literally 20 million pieces of mail just sitting there. Now, on top of all that, this is an agency that had to distribute stimulus payments. Multiple times. Multiple times. They had to implement new tax law changes, and they had to send tax refunds of 2020 unemployment benefits to those who'd already filed their returns. And on top of all these additional tasks it had, it has 15% fewer employees than it had a decade ago. And that shortage of employees becomes very apparent when you try to call because the call center is only answering about a quarter of the phone calls. You have a one in four chance of actually talking to a live person. The other three people get that courtesy disconnect that Candace encountered and this is leading to a lot of frustration.
1: Yeah, that's what frustrates people the most is that feeling that you're on the outside and have no idea what's going on on the other end. It's one thing to have patience and wait for something if you know it's coming or you know there's communication. But when you can't get answers, you really feel lost and hopeless.
2: Exactly. And people are actually being told, don't call the IRS. They're too overwhelmed. The people who answer the phones aren't going to be able to help you in the way you want. The best way to to tackle this is to check the where's my payment tool. And that's it. You can read the frequently asked questions on their website. And I can also relate to people's frustration because as a reporter um, i'm not getting much from the irs either i haven't had a lot of interview opportunities um and and i've been referred to a lot of um you know faqs as well and when people file complaints with contact six we like to send them along to various businesses and agencies and the irs told us don't send us these when we got complaints about the irs we're not going to respond to them um, so we didn't have anywhere to send complaints about the IRS, to send complaints about 2019 tax returns missing. And we had to respond to people, say, you know, we're sorry, here are some resources, here's what the IRS says to do, but they're not taking our complaint forms or reviewing them when we send them.
1: Now, the one thing that did stand out to me from your story is you you showed uh, some of the – complaints you've received about these various uh, delays and you, you mentioned there that each of those people has since received whatever it was they were waiting on and in fact the person you profiled for this story about a week later got the refund she was looking for though it wasn't exactly the amount she was hoping for.
2: No it was smaller than the amount she expected but yes the vast majority of the people who have reached out to us have since gotten their tax refunds it's just taking longer. And sometimes there are, are little hiccups that hold it up. If there are mistakes made, that can hold it up a long time. So uh, people have to be patient. I know it's hard, uh, but if, if you got your economic impact payments eventually, if you've gotten tax returns in the past, the money should be coming eventually.
1: I to add one more thing that, that you uh, pointed out here when it comes to waiting for things from the IRS, um, there is yet another round of money that parents should be looking forward to potentially uh, this summer. Can you tell us a little bit more about the child tax credit?
2: Yes, so the coronavirus relief package that was passed in March includes a one-year expansion of the child tax credit. so most American parents can expect to receive $3,000 a year for every child ages 6 to 17 and $3,600 a year for every child under age 6. And these amounts taper off once income hits $75,000 for individuals and $150,000 for married couples. Families are normally entitled to $2,000 annually in these refundable tax credits. Per child. So um, if you earn too much to qualify for the expanded credits, you may still receive the $2,000 credit if your income level is below $200,000 for individuals and $400,000 for married couples. Now, what's going to be confusing for people is that they're not getting this money in a lump sum. So half of that money. (laughs) is coming in monthly payments that start in July so people might get two hundred fifty dollars from the IRS three hundred dollars instead of that three thousand or thirty six hundred dollars
1: is it going to come with any explanation or will people just be suddenly surprised if they haven't been paying attention that I'm getting money from the IRS
2: some people have told us they've gotten letters from the IRS explaining that this money is coming but there is concern that people are going to see this money and think that it's a scam or they're going to get a check in the mail and they're going to be afraid to cash it. So I'm expecting those calls.
1: Contact six is going to get flooded with those, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm expecting it. And then you get half of the money up front, and then you get the other half when you file your 2021 tax return. Uh, So it's just kind of more work for the IRS. You can opt out of the advance payments if you go to the IRS website, if you'd rather take care of all of it when you file your tax returns. But in order to qualify for this money, you need to have filed a 2019 or 2020 tax form. So again, on top of everything else the IRS has been working on, this is something else they're going to be doing as well
1: well that seems about uh, like it's as good a time as any for us to go off the record this is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal have a little fun by answering a question we have not prepared for and back this week to ask us that question sarah hey sarah how are you
0: Hey, hey, hey. I'm back. Um, Okay, so this week, um, I I seem to like to talk about food and drinks and stuff. Um, So that question, here we are again with some food talk. Um, What food do you hate that everyone seems to love? I'll give you a second to think about that because here is mine. Coconut. It is the grossest. It's a texture thing. I think it tastes gross. I can pick it out a mile away. Coconut
1: flavoring, or do you, is it the texture? Like, is flavoring okay?
0: Uh, yeah, no, it's everything. It's everything about it. It's gross. It's flakes. It, like, sneaks in <laughs> things. Like, they, some some companies, granola bars. Why is it in a granola bar? I don't want it in my chocolate chip granola bar. It's gross. And I can feel it in my teeth. So you're not, I feel a, it in my you're teeth. not a pina colada person. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, gross. It like, ugh, Malibu. Ugh. Um, yeah, but it's like my mother-in-law, bless her, made this peach cake. And it looked delicious. It smelled delicious. So she cut me a piece and I looked at it and I was like, is there coconut in this? I could see one little flake. I could pick, it was like deep in the batter. She's like, oh, uh, she looked at me and she was about to lie. and But then she goes, oh, there's like a maple coconut frosting. I was like, blah.
1: You had you had <laughs> so me at peach. The... I was grossed out there. I, I'm not a peach fan. I've never really been a peach yeah. fan. Um, my wife in particular, any of the passion fruits, not like, you know, it's really popular now is all of these seltzer drinks, right? But so many yeah. of them have peach or mango or whatever. And and no, not, not have Happening on this end um so maybe i guess that yeah. jumps right into my i think for me it's, it's probably uh, peaches and mango and 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 the pat to me they always have a little bit of that there's a little bit of sour to them that i like fruit should be sweet yeah. and delicious and then it's yes. kind of just a little off and i've just never that to me has a flavor that ruins a lot of things that could otherwise be delicious
0: it already tastes like it turned right like sometimes i'll <laughs> taste those and i was like has this fruit gone bad? And it's fresh. I just cut it. It, you know. But.
1: And I think a lot of people like so maybe that quality because I think a lot of people do like mango and peach and other sorts of things, especially in in you know in drinks. Um, I mean, like if if you had like cut up peaches, my kids used to eat them when they were younger. I mean those I guess those are okay, but it's not my it's not my favorite. I'd rather have pears. You know if you were going to eat like kids' fruits. Um, so yeah no not <laughs> not the passion fruits for me, but coconut. I just had in fact right here this morning in my real Milwaukee mug, which I'm showing you, you can't see it on the podcast. Oh, Hey, um, but in, I have a coconut and a mocha flavored coffee and I think it's delicious, but I get what you mean by the uh-huh. texture of coconut. I'm not as wild about something that has that sort of coconut crunch to it, but the flavor I'm okay with Jenna. What about you?
2: So I agree with you, Sarah. I think coconut, the texture is gross. I could, I could do the flavor, but the texture of it is, is I, i get that completely um why is this escaping me but what's the big state fair food that everybody loves cream puffs um, yes oh i am i'm not a fan of the cream I'm with puffs. you on that you know we and me too we get them in the newsroom every year and everybody goes nuts and if i'm going to eat a thousand calories i want it to be amazing and it just tastes bland me, I'm sorry. um So I'm not a You're big. You're gonna fan get kicked of out of Wisconsin. Up. I I know <laughs> it's just not my thing, and I'm also whenever we get the Poonchkis to the newsroom, I'm not a big fan of those those either. See, I'm just listing off things that are gonna get me expelled from the state. <laughs> You're
1: just going right after the sacred cows.
0: But sometimes I feel like there's just such a buildup, and then there, yeah, there but is. it's like you know, I'd rather have like a big ice cream sundae. Or um, have you had the blue ribbon brownies from State Fair? Because I need those delivered. Because I'll pass on the cream puffs every day. But man, you put that big tin brownie. Oh yeah That sounds. That
2: Sorry. sounds right up my alley. My
1: feeling about cream puffs is very similar to this. Would would have been another one I could have gone with. Is very similar to. Krispy Kreme donuts. It's not that they don't taste okay. It's that you bite into them. You know, you're eating a lot of calories and they're gone. It's like eating cotton candy. It just disappears. And you're like, I, th- I mean, I, th- I want to bite into something substantial. If I'm going to get that sort of caloric intake, I want to feel it. And it just seems like a cream <laughs> puff is like biting into an imaginary dessert that's just gone before yeah. you, you've, you've finished.
2: Right. I'd rather just go to Dairy Queen and get a dip cone or something else. I could eat Dairy Queen all day. I love dessert. I just, I, the cream puff doesn't do it for me.
1: So all, all of our State Fair Ew. contacts right now are canceling their subscriptions <laughs> to open records?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What if they made a coconut cream oh, puff? Oh, there <laughs> it
1: is. I'm getting you a 12-pack.
2: Yeah, you know, the corn, you the corn is really good. The buttered corn at, at State Fair, that's great. It's I feel the need to, like, throw praise on something else. There's
1: plenty of options at State Fair. We just we just are not the Cream Puff fans here, and that's okay. Well, if you have a question you'd like to submit for our Off the Record segment or uh, want to suggest a topic you think we should discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That's fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Jenna, thank you again for being on the podcast today.
2: No problem. I love it.
1: And executive producer, Sarah Smith, as always, thank you for joining us with a great talker question.
0: Every day. Well, not every day. I lied. That's not a true Once a week. (laughs) I wanted to be witty and then I ended up being wrong. So every week. As
1: always, thank you to the other people who make this podcast possible, from producer Pete to Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and of course, Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get wonderful podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson, and we'll be back again next week.